This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm fired up for today because we've got two for one. We've got Ryan Lalonde and Cameron McNeil. Uh, Cameron McNeil is the executive director and partner at MLA Canada and past guest. And Ryan Lalonde is the president and partner MLA Canada, also past guest. That's right. Super excited to have these guys back on the show. It's our lucky day. And this is how lucky uh, of a day it is, Adam. I was walking my daughter to school this morning. Right. I saw four leaf uh, clover. No, I I saw a bunch of birds in a tree, like yeah. a, a lot of birds. Better than two in the bush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, go on. And I said, look at all those birds in that tree as we walked under it, and uh, pooped on my head. Really? I'm not kidding. That happened this morning. Yeah, on your head this so morning. This is that's apparently lucky. So did you go? Home? And, so just question for the. <laughs> I haven't been home yet. You, okay, God. So what did you do? Did you did you? Oh, I like, finished walking her to school and then I yeah. You just had with, to, with, I've had two showers today, but uh, did you but, go back and shower? Yeah, of course. Well, okay, you, okay. You got, I was say. Uh, this is but but the what point is? is, it's lucky. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> And, and what what is the point? <laughs> and we got Ryan and Cameron on the show, and that's yeah. how lucky we are yeah. today. To be fair, we recorded the interview another earlier time. I so. feel like I didn't have to take one for the team to have this interview yeah. go on, but uh, so it goes. But ah, that's uh, interesting. I didn't I didn't know. I had actually um, side note. I had a uh, a bird poop on me uh, one time on a date oh, years really? back. Uh, years back, yeah. It was embarrassing. Your wife today. 
my wife today. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a sign. sign. Yeah, is that right? Is that <laughs> no? True? I think actually, I think it was. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it was Sabrina. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I You're dating I a can't lot of remember. I, mean, I was I was uh, a serial <laughs> dater. Now I'm a serial monogamous. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was anyways. Uh, lucky her, lucky us. Uh, <laughs> not, but but let's 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 break down MLA because I think there's a few things going on here, right? People will remember Ryan Lalonde was on the show a couple right. of years ago. Right. Cameron McNeil was on right at the start of the pandemic. They're yes. both back. These guys head up MLA Canada. If you've ever looked at pre-construction on the internet, they're technology is bar none, right? Yeah. They're, they're ahead of the, the They're pack. always ahead of the curve. So in if fact, you, if, like when we had Cameron on last time, we, we covered, like if you want to know where the future of real estate yeah, is Yeah, he was heading. redefining the space basically yeah, exactly. and outlining exactly what was going on. But if you've been online, if you've been in a display center in the lower mainland, I would say there's a very good chance it's somebody from MLA who has helped you. These guys, uh, the the marketing firm is is massive, a massive presence in Vancouver, yeah. and they also have an intelligence division. They MLA do. Intel, yeah. Intel, and, and and it's good stuff. They're thought it's, leaders. It is. These guys are thought leaders. You want to be on that email list. Um, generally speaking, like there's some bold predictions made today on this program, which always makes me so excited. I mean, I think that's what we do here. These are some of the boldest predictions we've had. Yeah, and that's what and we do best the, on the on the show. I it's think. in the new construction space, is, yeah. but. It, uh, undoubtedly, there's there's a relationship here, so stay tuned. It exactly, will, it, will, it will catch you off guard. And I love my favorite thing about having uh, people like Cameron and Ryan on the program is these guys are, as we suggested, they're super bright, but they back up everything that they're saying in really, really detailed analysis, right? And I mean, if you don't leave this episode feeling bullish about real estate in Vancouver and in BC. I mean, you just weren't listening. That's right. That's right. So stay tuned for that. Uh, before we get to our talk with Cameron and Ryan, though, Adam, there's a few things we want to take care Some of. Some housekeeping. One, listing incentive. This is going on to the end of the spring. We have had some VREP listeners take advantage of this. It's awesome working with VREP listeners. It's my my favorite community to, uh, to work with. That's right. Sure. You, you know what? We've had top dollar Easy transactions and a huge incentive. Yeah. Huge I think incentive. There's been a lot of happy people. If so you want to work with the Scalina brothers or if you want your friends and family to work with us, feel free to reach out. We'll have an incentive for you as well. And Matt, we are also hiring. We'll put one last plug in. We've had some amazing resumes come in. We've had some amazing people come in. This is the last episode we're going to talk about this, but we're putting out one last call. If you are an agent, if you're licensed or if you're getting in licensed in the process of getting licensed, get in touch, send us a resume to info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And we are sponsored again this week. Can keep the lights on one more one more week. Uh, Oakwin Realty. Oakwin Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city. They are sponsoring this podcast once again. Head over to oakwin.com slash join. Type in VRP2020. That's oakwin.com slash join. Type in VRP2020. If you're a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, you get a huge incentive. You get to sit down with Michael and Morgan, learn all about the amazing resources, the right. amazing culture, all the best things that Oakland has to offer, and we appreciate them sponsoring the show. And last but not least, Adam, the sold plan. 
Yeah, sold plan. If you are just wanting to get in touch, no incentives um, involved here. But yeah, the incentive is the information. I, I love the sold plan. It's, it stands for start on launch date, uh, and then you work your way backwards. Of course. So if you're thinking about listing and you just want basically an action plan to get your place ready for market, the sold plan is a, is a really great resource. Uh, you can sign up either if you're on the live wire. Um, you just have to respond to the email. There'll be a button there that you can click, or you can just send us an email at info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com and write sold plan into the subject line. Without further ado, Matt, this is a phenomenal episode. Uh, I'm excited for this one, and I'm sure our listeners and will And if be you too. need uh, some imagery, of, Ryan of Lalonde. What did we, we're, we're not going to get into. Uh, we shouldn't get well, into well, it. Well, I don't, I don't know. I, when I mentioned that on the show, he, it was like he, that he was his first sound, time he, no, hearing that. No, there, I that's was how say, I. He did not sound surprised. Oh no, I thought I thought he said tell tell my wife is what he said. Oh right, he did. Yeah. Well, but, no, because you said, that, but everybody. This was, so the story people is, have mentioned when that. he came into the program. Right. Um, he came in to do the recording. This is pre-COVID. This is pre-COVID days. days. Everybody secret thought week at the knees. Secret. <laughs> <laughs> he looks secret very, was very fanning himself. Ryan looks very similar to uh, uh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. That's yeah, right. Not in that a star was born. Bradley Cooper in more of a leading man role. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. So if you need some imagery, Cameron McNeil also a great looking guy. <laughs> this is, are, we, looking. are we overselling? <laughs> uh, anyways, all right. Well, let's cut to our interview. This is a great one. Enjoy. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Cameron McNeil, Executive Director and Partner at MLA Canada, and Ryan Lalonde, President and Partner of MLA Canada. How are you both doing? Terrific. Adam, Matt, thank you for including us today. I'm going to agree. I feel like uh, feel like a 9 out of 10 right now, and coffee up and ready to go. <laughs> right well, thanks. Thanks so much thanks. Uh, for taking the time today, guys. We should say you both have been on the show, have not been on together. I would say past guests, fan favorites for sure. Yeah. Uh, but for those listening who who haven't heard you on the show, don't know uh, much about Emily and, and you guys, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe starting with Cameron? Sure, you bet. Uh, you know, the first time I was on your show was about a year ago, guys. And I know that because I was your first guest where I didn't come into your studio and um, we were complaining about that and, and uh, looking forward to the day when we could get together and have a beer and a laugh in person. And, and here we are a full year later and we're doing this um, uh, outside of your studio still. <laughs> and so very hopeful that we will be able to uh, get back into your studio and, 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 and fulfill that vision. Um, so yeah. So for my background, you know, I've, I've been doing this for uh, got a long time, almost 30 years, 29 years. I've been helping developers envision great real estate projects and was involved in the consumption. And about 10 years ago, I met Ryan and, and realized like, holy cow, here's a guy who's as passionate as I am about urban real estate, almost as smart. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, a little, uh, and a, a, a little bit better looking though. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and almost as humble too, and um, and so so uh, so you know been been doing this for a long time, and uh, growing up in Vancouver, and um, just been been very very passionate about urban real estate, how our city has grown, and and have been uh, incredibly proud of of MLA and and our firm's involvement in 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 many projects throughout Western Canada, and um, 
and helping our developers, as I said, just just create fantastic projects. And and more importantly, I think making the consumer experience something that is you know second to none. And so. Uh, we've been very, very active in the new home construction field. We have a mortgage firm as well uh, called Nest Mortgage, which has been uh, a terrific addition to to our group. And so I just, I guess for my background, I just love this city. You know, we're we're skiers, and and uh, I've got a, I was going to say young, young, young family now, but my my daughter's twenty, my son's eighteen, so not young anymore. But um, but definitely uh, have immersed myself into this real estate world, and absolutely very, very passionate about it. Right on, and and Ryan. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well said, Cam. You know, uh, met some time ago, uh, over a decade ago, and and five years ago, brought together uh, two organizations, and and we're celebrating our five year anniversary in just a just a few months, uh, which is something that we're really excited about. You know, ultimately, similar to Cameron, I've, I've been selling real estate for nearly twenty years, a little bit less time uh, on the floor than Cam, but you know, so much of of I think our passion, our aligned vision, just centers around uh, the notion of how to just how to do great work, be really proud of the things that we take on, making sure that we can add value at all parts of the development life cycle. And also just, you know, pursuing some of the passions. Uh, and, and they're not necessarily the same passions, but what falls out of that is just this incredible partnership. Uh, we're also joined in, in, in our organization with two other partners, Susanna Gonzalez and uh, Shane McQuiston. And, and, and out of that allows us to, you know, take on some really exciting ventures. Uh, we continue to push the boundaries for what it means to be a service provider in our space. But I think Cameron hit, hit hit it on the head. I, you know, the one thing that really gets us excited is is ties back to to the purpose of the organization, which is just how do we create and innovate uh, meaningful and and incredible real estate experiences, and and we uh, attempt to do that uh, both working in the boardroom with with our development partners, and then also how do we uh, help shape that for our audience and the customers that we're engaging to. Right on. Well, I think we've had a lot of uh, guests on this year, sort of January, February, talking about. Uh, how surprising 2020 was, how surprised everyone was at kind of how we came out of the gates in 2021, just gangbusters here. We haven't talked a lot about the pre-sale market, whereas, of course, the space you guys kind of operate in. Can we talk a little bit about the pre-sale market? I'm thinking, I'm blanking on the name. Is it Smith and Smith and Farrow yeah. uh, in Burquitlam that I know I had a client who asked me about that and it was like, man, it reminded me of 2017 or 2016 days with how busy that was. Uh, how, how is the pre-sale market? Hey, Cam, why don't, why don't I start off with pre-sale and, and, uh, and then you jump in on Smith and Farrow if that's all right. Sounds great. All right. Pre-sale market, this is, this is one of the hottest questions that we're asked right now, both I think in the boardroom and then of course, just real estate is a topic uh, in Vancouver. And you know, I think I think to to think about where the pre-sale market's at, you have to reflect back a little bit. Uh, so about two and a half years ago, uh, the last time that was on your guys' show, what was becoming very clear is that that the winds were changing, and uh, that really began to happen in the latter part of 2018. Uh, and all through 2019, we saw uh, buyer confidence fall, and as a result of that, the number of transactions dropped, the number of project launches dropped, and price point followed. You know, in in the years leading up to to 2019, you know, 2017 and 2018, we were selling between 200 and uh, 200 projects would would roughly come to market on a year to year basis. And by the time that we we're into 2020, that number dropped down to almost half that. And the ones that did launch through 2019 and 2020, for the most part, were smaller format. Uh, they were wood frame, and they certainly didn't have the density. But today, the market is just incredibly robust. You know, if you're if you're looking at some of the, the data that's been recently bought off the press for February stats, 
you know, you have over 3,700 transactions in Greater Vancouver. That's 42% higher than the 10-year average uh, in the Fraser Valley. Similar tone, 2,800 transactions, almost 88% higher than the 10-year average. Every part of, of both the lower mainland uh, and the Fraser Valley is on fire right now. Um, and, and I think that when you think about where sales ratios are at today and you think about the amount of buyer demand and some record low interest rates, it's, it's really hard to imagine um, an environment similar to today that, that wouldn't result in less affordability and that, uh, and that wouldn't result in, in higher price points over the next 12 months. Farrah has been really exciting though, and I'll let Cam take this one away, but we've been, it's been a privilege to work on the program. Cameron's worked very, very closely with our development partner, Bafo, who's just an incredible builder and, and the success so far has been, has been fantastic. And I think it really speaks to the legacy that Bafo has built, but then also uh, uh, to the, to the u- really unique offering uh, that's been brought to market. I'm going to echo that sentiment. You know, we are in a very, very strong pre-sale market now. And, and uh, you know, typically the single family market is a leading indicator to what we see happening in the pre-sale market. The, the resale market, time and time again, after every cycle, we see whether it's uh, uh, whether the cycle is on the upward swing or the downward swing is the it tends to be the leading indicator. And, you know, 2017, 2018, you know, we had a made in Victoria real estate slump. And you know, our provincial government had numerous initiatives that simply eroded buyer confidence, but the fundamentals below the surface were still very, very strong. Immigration numbers, very, very strong, still uh, constrained supply. And when that confidence fell out of the market, the development community simply put all their projects on hold. So we're in a situation today where we're seeing developers bring back real estate projects to the market for the first time in a, in a, in a, in a large scale volume since 2017-18. And so we have demand that is exceeding our, our ability as an industry to create supply. And as a result, we're seeing this very, very strong market and also upward pressure on, on values and pricing. In a single family market, that's more of a fixed supply situation. So of course, we see that that price move even move more dramatically. But um, but specifically, Smith & Farrell, it's an incredible project. As Ryan just described, it's, it's not a small project, 45 stories, North Road, right on a SkyTrain station. Uh, our block away from the SkyTrain station, amazing views and uh, incredible success. It's sold 200 of 100 of 355 units, you know, homes in a very, very short period of time, approximately two weeks, uh, which completely exceeded our expectations and the client's expectations. And it continues to, to sell very well. And it's a beautiful product. And we've been able to see values fully recovered from where they were at the height of the market. Um, and that's just an indication of the health of the broader market, as well as as what a fantastic offering the Smith and Farrell project is. Right. I think uh, if I remember, I called on a Tuesday, and the disclosure when you started selling was on the Friday, so it was like four or five days after. It was basically just a weekend, and I think in terms of uh, one beds or one bed and dens, I can't remember, but it was like the thirty eighth floor was the the lowest floor that was available yeah. after like <laughs> yeah. three yeah. days. And you know, we, we always try very hard to uh, take a building and make sure that we're, you know, we're not just, you know, dropping the, all the inventory in the market. Ideally it's healthy for the project and for the consumer to, to see uniform sales for the building. But uh, this one, the demand was so strong that uh, we, you know, we just quickly saw sales take off. I don't know if you recall on that Tuesday, we did a virtual realtor event. Normally in the old days, of course, we would, you know, open up and we would, you know, fill, you know, everyone would come down, all the realtors would come down and we would have a chance to showcase the project to 
to the realtor community and the brokers such as yourselves that we work so closely with. And, uh, and now, of course, in the COVID world, we have to do this virtually. And we had an incredible event. We had over 500 people spend more than an hour with us uh, to learn and to be apprised of this project. And that's a, an incredible rate of participation. We're going to touch on it, I'm sure, in this conversation, but uh, technology is something that as an organization, we have always embraced very, very uh, strongly. And it's something that we're really proud of, of continuing to, to push the needle and pioneer. And so we've kind of, you know, have this whole virtual world, you know, pretty figured out and um, the participation was phenomenal. And on the heels of that, we just had a, a huge wave of inquiry and demand. And, and that, that probably started on that same Tuesday that you're referring to. A lot of disappointed people. I have to admit, though, that that is one of the, the biggest challenges that you have around these incredible opportunities is that, unfortunately, there is a uh, supply of, of density is just so limited in, in some of the best parts of the city or some of the best parts of the lower mainland. And as a result of that, you know, there's a fixed number of homes. It's finite, and uh, and we don't have enough to go around. So it's it's always hard because your your heart goes out to all of those that that register early. They're hunting for a new home. Sometimes it's it's for a potential investment, um, but a lot of times it's actually, especially when you're considering Smith and Farrow, it's a home for for children, or it's a home for grandparents, or it's a home for a new couple. And I think that it's it's heartbreaking to know that you just don't have enough to go around, and that you have to make these decisions early on in a, in a program of of, of allocation. So. I, yeah, I, I agree with you, Ryan. And I'm just going to add that, you know, I, I get I get very annoyed when when the government of all levels, provincial and municipalities, muddles in trying to control the real estate market. You know, what it really does is it really creates these violent swings of the pendulum, and you know, it creates these times where the market is in fear or or has uncertainty, and the development community holds back, and then the, the demand shows up, and then there's flood force. So these these, these incredible uh, swings in the market, and it just be- becomes a very, very difficult environment for both the development community and the consumer to operate. And Ryan and I would both like a very balanced, long-term sustainable market, which doesn't see double-digit growth every year, but just sees slow and steady growth as this region grows. And consumers have choice, and they don't have to make that choice in five minutes. They can shop around and choose the home that suits them best. And that is an environment that we haven't seen since 2000 and, you know, since I I can't recall a market that's been really balanced like that in ten, in a decade, and it's these violent swings, and the government is always kind of trying to you know pull the pull the strings of the market, and it just creates this really really difficult uncertain market. And the irony is that they're trying to do it under the guise of, of affordability, but it all trickles down to creating less affordability, less supply, and it's just a really difficult market for a consumer to to try to find a, a home for their future. I was going to add in there, Cam and I were connecting on, uh, on a few topics yesterday and it's, it's, I'm laughing a little bit, Cam, because we're only five minutes in and we're talking about government already. Um, but just keep going. But this, <laughs> yeah. But this, pamphlet, this, this pamphlet arrived and I was, I was sharing with Cameron, uh, it's a pamphlet regarding BC speculation and vacancy tax. And, uh, this pamphlet arrived and it's probably, uh, arrived in, in many that are listening to this podcast and, you know, you look at it, and 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 it's actually an, an incredible piece of marketing and branding around something that is more easier to interpret as a wealth tax. But you know, the opening headline is more than ninety nine percent of British Columbians are exempt, um, which also, I think, from my perspective, begs the question: why why was this the solution if it, if if, it, if it's not necessarily the cure? But 
you look at the commitments that are within this pamphlet and you look at these headlines, you know, 114,000 affordable homes to be built in, in 10 years. And then you do the math on it. And to date, we're sitting at under 12,000 in four years, right? Um, yes, we have commitments on future land, but but we're not delivering. And, and at times, Cameron's absolutely right. At times, it feels like it would be as, as, as a city and, and, and as a BC resident, it would be far better if we directed our attention and our efforts towards holding those in, in power accountable to appropriate development timelines, right? It, it's it's so difficult when a project that's, that is acquired today will take two to two and a half years to work through city process if things go well. And if they don't, it can take up to three to five years. You think about what Bothell has had to deal with in certain parts of, of, of North Vancouver or different municipalities closer to the downtown core. And it's it's been really, really challenging. So I think for us, you know, the hope would be uh, how do we bring more doors to the marketplace? Because what you're about to witness, and, and I'm going to make a prediction here, from July of 2020 to July of 2022, you're going to witness one of the, the most aggressive run-ups in price per square foot and, and pricing in the lower mainland that we've probably seen in the last 20 years. Because you have incredible buyer demand come falling out of 2019 and 2020 supported by record low mortgage rates, right? Our interest rates have never been lower. And the expectation is that low rate environment will be here for some time. And as a result of that, you're going to see massive upward pressure in most marketplaces right now, most neighborhoods, you have, you know, sales to listing ratios of anywhere from 60% to 110%. These are the signs, the warning signs of, of how undersupplied our marketplace is. And that doesn't even touch on the commitments that the federal government has made due to future immigration. So Cameron's right. You know, we we as as marketers and as as, as those that that want to be able to support the supply of new housing into the marketplace, we would prefer to see a consistent market that we're going to be operating in within the next two years. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like one of our past guests said uh, on this show, Horgan couldn't build a doghouse. I think was the <laughs> was the line. <laughs> uh, in your opinion, how do we like? Should we rely on government to kind of solve the the affordability question? And and what do you think the way forward is in in terms of getting supply on the market? Well, I'd like to just start create some context around that. You know, we're obviously in the middle of COVID, which has interrupted Im- immigration into into Canada, and the federal government, of course, has just increased their annual quotas um, to you know approximately 410,000 this year, 420 next year, 430 the following year. And, um, you know, that is a significant jump from where it was just in 2020. That's uh, 50,000 additional new Canadians. Does not include student visas. And we have not been able to see that immigration over the last 12 months to to those numbers. And our Charter of Rights and Freedoms allows Canadians to live anywhere they want in the country. And Immigrants will choose our energy centers in the country, Ryan and I call it, you know, those those cities that are the most um, uh, uh, hustling and bustling and and Vancouver and Toronto and Montreal are going to be the primary recipients of this incredible wave of immigration that is upon us. There'll be 1.3 million new Canadians in the next three years. And, you know, that's one term of government. And um, that timeline that Ryan talked about for Smith and Farrell, over two years to get the project approved, then it has to be sold to the extent that the, the banks will, will agree to finance. And then it takes roughly three years to build. It is six years to deliver a high rise. So in six years, 
there's going to be two and a half million new Canadians. Our region, I'll call that Greater Metro Vancouver, I'll call our region, is going to have an incredible wave of, of new immigrants, which is going to create that, that incredible strain in values that Ryan spoke of in his prediction. And he's absolutely right. It's going to be um, unprecedented uh, imbalance between demand and supply. And so the government has a real, real, real challenge, you know, and, and the more they monkey around, ironically, the, the worse it gets, not the better it gets. The number one thing that they can do is get out of the way. You know, I, I think that, you know, building affordable housing for those that are less privileged or in need or, or um, need some, some support, I think is a very healthy thing for a community. I think our community needs to, to embrace all, all strata of society and, and, and integrate that. And of course, we appreciate that's a, a real, real, real challenge. And it has to be part of our narrative. But Vancouver does it better than most cities in North America. And our urban planning is quite sound. You know, we we, we have density in sensible areas. We, we, we don't just sprawl and build our, our communities around, around highways and transit. We do have very walkable uh, cities that are only improving. You know, uh, you, there's, there's a uh, urban planning concept about having uh, you know ten minute nodes where you can you know work and play and get all your amenities and 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 services within a ten minute radius of your home in a walking distance. Now, these are really really exciting things that Vancouver is embracing, and, and you know frankly I think that to answer your question in a long winded way, the government has to get get out of the way of the industry and the market forces will bring that housing to market. Uh, it'll still be a struggle though. It'll still be a struggle to satisfy the insatiable demand for housing. And we're like a restaurant that has just been discovered. You may have heard me say this little silly analogy that I, I talk about all the time. You know, long-term patrons of the restaurant could could be upset that all of a sudden it's busy and they can't get their favorite table and they can't just call up, you know, an hour before and get the reservation. You know, Vancouver is changing. And anyone that is nostalgic about our old about Vancouver 10 years ago, well, they haven't seen anything yet. Vancouver is going to dramatically change in the decade ahead. And the government can't prevent people from moving here if they're if they have uh, landed immigrants or Canadian uh, Canadian um, uh, citizenship. So uh, this region is going to dramatically dramatically change. Well, I think that's a really fair point, Cam, and a really good share. That the struggle is at the intersection of what Vancouver used to be and what Vancouver must be for the future. Right. When you think about. I think that that's a very appropriate response, and and you know my my take on this is is a little bit shorter on it. I think the way that we the way that we tackle this problem is the same way that you tackle every problem. You identify a vision, you set metrics of accountability, so you identify your targets, you track the metrics, and you attempt to improve on them when you don't deliver on them. And if we're going to allow programs on Camby Street to take two years through the development life cycle, or programs in you know, Burke Mountains to work through city planning in a year and a half. That's how long it's going to take for density to move through um, the appropriate stages of value add. And I think from our perspective, you know, that Parkinson law rings true. The amount of time that, you, that that will be taken is the amount of time that is given. And I think that if we can find a way to hold those in power, those with their, their uh, those that play an active role, more accountable with real outcomes that fall if you if you do fall short, I think gives us the best opportunity to make sure that we can have density that's brought to the various marketplaces in a timely manner. It really is that straightforward. Of course, we have to do everything to look after all walks of life. We have to make sure that that communities are being built responsibly and, and that they do support families at all income levels. But that doesn't mean that it should still take two and a half years in order to move through a rezoning application. 
So just going back to, to something you said, Ryan, a couple minutes back, but as I understand your guys kind of contextualizing the moment we're in right now, basically the, the Victoria-led slight downturn that we saw in 2018-2019 led to a lot of projects being shelved or at least hit pause, right? And it, in my mind, it's almost like a slingshot was being drawn back because the fundamentals were still there. And then the powder keg of low interest rates and, and everything else that's going on right now, you're seeing a run-up in prices right now and you're expecting what sounds like fairly significant price increases through this year and next year. Do you have kind of a percentage or a price per square foot in various areas that you guys are, are expecting, say, within a year? Or is that t- putting too fine a point on it? I, I'm happy to think, I think we're always happy to share some of our opinion around uh, the outcomes that we're going to experience maybe over the next 12 to 24 months. It's certainly complicated because we're in a very unique environment right now, you know, and, and I think that I, I've, I've shared this analogy in the past. And so you probably heard it, but, you know, we sat on some panels and, and had many discussions about a year ago with Cameron and myself. And, and at that time, our conversation was the rocket is being fueled right now. And the, and the primary reason is because when, when we're sitting at record low transaction rates in 2019 and as a result of COVID parts of 2020, we know that there's still immigration. We know that there's still incredible demand. We, we, we certainly appreciate that locals are going through transitional life stages that result in, in a need for different forms of housing, right? And whether that's downsizing or whether that's upsizing, whether it's family formation or not, it, it still results in, in, in adjustments and needs for space, amenities, or different neighborhoods. And, and so those pauses that we saw in, in a latter part of 2018, 2019, and 2020 have, were fueling our rocket. And we were quite certain that at some point we would begin to see uh, ignition. And, and, and that began to happen in January, February of 2020. COVID paused that, delayed it by probably another eight or nine months, just creating that groundswell underneath. And, and it really began to unlock and surge in the latter part of 2020. You know, today, when we look at these sales ratios across a variety of different neighborhoods and the real push towards more rural markets than previously sought and the need for space, if if you think about where we were pre-2017, you know, and you think about where we're at today, we're almost on par. The market has almost recovered through the 2019-2020 recession uh, on values where we sat pre-recession, which is, you know, in line with 2017 or into 2016 pricing, both for pre-sale and resale. But today we have record low interest rates that account for anywhere from 10 to 17% more affordability, or in another way of saying that, higher price points for the servicing as where we were in 2016. Compared to two years ago. That's right. Compared to two, two years ago, 2016, 2017. And so what that really means is, is, is that, there should be an expectation that that people will continue to borrow based off of what is achievable from a servicing standpoint with debt. And the end result would be hard to imagine how we're not going to push up to those ceilings that we were operating with in 2016, 2017 around mortgage rates. So another way of saying that is as rates have dropped, affordability now um, is higher and that's going to push price per square foot. And so we have about another 10 to 15 points be able to elevate and still be at the same monthly rates that people were at pre-recession. So maybe another 15 points there. And then when you think about immigration and you think about natural growth and, and you think about what's happening in markets and the supply of money, it's hard not to imagine how we're not going to surpass that. 
And today we're seeing in many markets, pre-sale and resale are very similar on price. Traditionally, pre-sale would have been uh, certainly through 2014 all the way through 2017 was priced as a premium and it would often sit higher than resale values selling in that community because it would be new inventory. Today in Metrotown or today in Burke Mountain, it is sitting in line with resale pricing. Uh, that's unusual for a marketplace. And the expectation is, is that price growth will be a result of that. Uh, then there's other parts of the downtown core, for example, where there's a, still a significant gap. Resale being anywhere from four to $1,000 price per square foot less than some of the prices that project would need to hit in those neighborhoods. So um, we're at a really interesting point in time, but it's 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 hard not to imagine how pre-sale pricing is not going to continue to push up, but very, very well valued for the next six months in our marketplace. Interesting. So it sounds like you're thinking, if I understand, at least 15, kind of 15 to 25%. Quiet. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> you know, here's, you know, I, this is tricky. It's a very, very tricky prediction. But if I was to guess about what we're going to see over, say, the next three years, and again, this isn't a, this isn't a, the, a position of, of, of MLA. This would be, you know, some candid dialogue that, that we've been having internally. It's hard not to imagine how the resale marketplace isn't going to see double-digit returns through the remainder of this year, knowing where sales ratios are at today. And so whether that's 10% or that's 15%, it does feel like there's a lot of room for the market to press up as, as interest rates are just so, are so low. What we think about the following years, interest rates, today's marketplace is being driven by pent-up demand of the two years past. Um, that's going to transition into immigration. Uh, demand and uh, transformational demand uh, changes in habits for 2022. And, and so, you know, hard to imagine how we'll be in a state of, of three years of double digit growth. And so even if that was to drop back down to 7% in 2022, and maybe fall a little bit further down to down to something between three and 5% in 2023. What's really interesting is that if, if, it, if it was those ranges, a million dollar property today is still worth in excess of 1.25 to 1.3 million three years from now. And that's a really difficult situation for our city to be in because affordability is just so vital um, to making sure that we can retain incredible talent to drive our industry to be, to be a productive province. And I think that if we can't find a way to deliver more density and increase the supply of housing, we're going to be in, in, in a position where all of the conversation that we're having in 2014, 15, and 16 around lack of affordability is going to repeat itself and maybe be even more extreme than what it was in those earlier years. One of the interesting themes that comes to mind when I when I think about this is um, is how this pressure trickles down to longstanding Vancouverites and and their housing choices. And you know, one thing's clear. You know, the reason why real estate is so valuable here simply because people are prepared to make great sacrifices to live here. If Vancouver wasn't such a special place, people would move to Winnipeg. And, you know, no offense to the, the Winnipeggers that listen to this, but- Or host you know, it, but, <laughs> none take it. Uh, yeah, or, uh, <laughs> but we're not living there. <laughs> but, but, but you're living in Vancouver. Yeah. You know that if you, took your same, if, you took, if you took your same budget and went to Winnipeg, you would, you would have three times the space and space is always a luxury. So- you know, people are making great sacrifices to be here and our homes are not defined within our four walls or, or within our property lines. It is our communities. And so, you know, Vancouver truly does have an incredible living experience for people. Their private space might be a lot smaller, but the public space 
is among the best in the world. And so when people talk about affordability, the economists and the government speak of our private space, but it is really our living experience here in Vancouver that is among the best in the world. And, and so it is a, it's a more complicated conversation when, when we think about what is someone's living experience like 24-7 in this community as far as safe and fresh air and fresh water and you know, access to great health care and great education and it's tolerant and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and if you live with someone somewhere else in the world, they don't even stack up in any of those categories, let alone in totality. So people are prepared to make great, great, great sacrifices to live here. And the phenomenon of long-term Canadians, you know, when I reflect back over the last 30 years, there'd be a time where people would aspire to live in their close to their, their childhood home and their parents and their, their siblings or family members. And then of course, you know, over, as years passed, we saw strictly out of affordability, people choosing new communities that still had great amenities, but they were within a certain proximity of their childhood home. So they could visit their parents or, or have that nostalgia and proximity to, to where they live. And, and that might be 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And today, what Ryan and I are observing, and we do tremendous amount of, of uh, research and, and data and tracking of all of our prospects and buyers, and people prepared to go up to roughly about an hour's drive of their childhood home. And that covers most of our region. So in the pursuit of space, somebody that you know grew up in Kitsilano or something like that, they're prepared to live in Squamish or they're prepared to live in Abbotsford. And so we are seeing people go much further geographically in order to make a decision to raise a family. But a few, of course, may not have the strong ties to the city and then they're prepared to make a leap. Someone may go to Kelowna or, or Victoria, but the vast majority of people are that are long-term Vancouverites, their first priority and desirability is to and desire is to remain within the region. And they'll make geographic sacrifices somewhere along a spectrum of space versus proximity to those childhood homes. So Cameron, can we maybe talk a little bit of in line with that about uh, some of the areas in the lower mainland that you're that you're most excited about? Oh, well, I'm excited about the whole region. Gosh, um, for different reasons. <laughs> Ryan, you, I want you to, to, to help me answer this as well. You know, we have a, we have a thriving office uh, in the Fraser Valley based in Langley. And what the Fraser Valley is doing is it is uh, fundamentally changing our region. It used to be a bedroom community for people that worked west of the river. You know, the vast majority of people would, that lived in the Fraser Valley would travel across the Portman Bridge for their, for their vocation and then, and then go back home. Today, the Fraser Valley is booming as its own city, frankly. And the housing stock that is created between Surrey, Langley, and Abbotsford over the next, for, you know, for the, I was gonna say the next decade, but you know, uh, going forward is going to be tremendous. There's gonna be as much housing stock created east of the river as there is in urban Vancouver, west of the river. And so that is fundamentally changing our entire region. The SkyTrain, of course, is getting extended all the way out to Langley Center. And the infrastructure and the amenities there are at a completely different level today than they were just 10 years ago. So it's a, it's a very rapidly changing environment there. So that excites me for many reasons because it's, it's, a, it's a newer growing area and, and it provides you know, more space and great livability for many parts of our community. Um, when I think about uh, the Vancouver or West of the River, which I'm just labeling Vancouver, but of course that's many municipalities within that, I mentioned Squamish. I think Squamish is going to continue to boom um, and it's going to take advantage of new um, trends that we're learning from COVID as far as flexible work and the like. 
It just provides incredible lifestyle for somebody within a, a reasonable drive to the city, you know, for, for access to work or, you know, international airport or, you know, high schools and, and universities and those kinds of things. I, I really like some of the niche markets, which I think have been undervalued. You know, the, the real obvious energy centers, uh, you know, Brentwood, Metrotown, North Road, those have seen a surge of pre-sale. And we've already talked about that, but some of these, you know, these hidden gems, I think are going to really roar back. And, and I'll point to a, a big niche market and that's downtown Vancouver. It's funny. I call it a niche because it is the highest end market and it hasn't really seen that, that slingshot that you mentioned. And Ryan and I've been predicting that downtown Vancouver, you can buy a near new home almost for the same price as you can buy in Metrotown. And, right. and I really believe there's, there's some significant upside potential in downtown Vancouver over the next six to 18 months. And, and when the, the, you know, Amazon's building their new Canadian headquarters there over 5,000 employees expected, and that's going to be finished in less than two years. And there's no supply downtown. So I really believe that uh, downtown Vancouver will always be downtown Vancouver and it will be a very special place. And yeah, so I, I think that the middle of the bell curve has really seen the, the bulk of the, of the action right now. And I think that the higher end market will, will, will start to see uh, some significant snapback here in the next six to 18 months. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you you touched on downtown because that's exactly what I was thinking. It seems like of all the areas, and we operate in in downtown. We, you know, that's where our office is. That's where we do a lot of our business. It's just shocking how how prices are kind of stable. You know, it's starting to pick up since January, but like November, December, you know, the rest of the market was 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 really really busy, and downtown was still crickets. Um, it does. It's hard not to look at that and think, <laughs> you know, uh, with <laughs> vaccines and everything else, that that there's a huge upswing potential there. I, Ryan, I'll let you. I'll let you add to, uh, to to my comments there. But as I thought about downtown, the rents are roughly twenty twenty five percent higher than they are in some other uh, markets where the values are almost the same. And so, so I, I really believe that that the downtown. I don't want to speak about the ultra high end stuff, but kind of the bulk of the downtown stuff, I think is going to have a lot of upside potential, probably, you know, somewhere in the 10 to 20% range over the next 18 months. I think it's also really important to note though, that because of what happened through 2020, um, a global pandemic and COVID, you know, we, we have seen one of the most dramatic shifts in lifestyle. And as a result of that, the pendulum is going to swing and today it's swinging uh, far further east than it ever has, but make no mistake about it. That pendulum will swing back, and and when it does, when you know the destination gates and international travel um, of the world begin to open once again, you're going to see tourism thrive again in Vancouver. Uh, office, retail, hospitality will all return when it does. Vancouver has something that's very special that you just will not be able to find uh, anywhere else in the Lower Mainland, and 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 maybe others will try to recreate it, but it it is it is very unique. And I think what you'll you'll see is 2020 and 2021 will be a push towards space, but it does come at a cost. Uh, what you seek in terms of more square footage within the four walls often comes in some cases with with very different amenities to the life that that you're leaving behind and. And I think that the future of Vancouver real estate will be what markets can recreate what they're leaving behind and, and, you know, what will that flow or that return be back? So as investors return back to our marketplace, as international travel improves, you're going to see Vancouver really thrive again. And the downtown core is going to be a huge benefit of that. So today the downtown core is like relative to other markets feels like it's, it's, it's on sale. Uh, West Vancouver 
six months ago was relatively slow. Maybe one of the one of the more difficult markets uh, in general uh, when you think about all the change that happened throughout the Lower Mainline in 2019 and 2020. It's hard to find one that was hit harder than West Vancouver. Maybe the West Side is 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 second to it, um, and yet it's now becoming uh, one of one of the more stronger single family marketplaces in proximity to the downtown core. My guess is or begin to be recognized for the value that it has. And in the next six months, you'll you'll begin to see a return. But already, as you guys know, we're seeing many multiple offers on, on well-priced two-bedroom and one-bedroom homes, right? It is not easy to find your way in. You know, the, the flow of listings is far less than what we've seen in the, in the past, but but great product is being absorbed very, very quickly. And, I, you know, the, the guess is, is that when you have the most affordable new home sales that could happen in the downtown core are somewhere between $1,600 and $2,000 per square foot. And there's only a few of them. And resale pricing is at $1,000 to $1,100 a square foot. It's fairly straightforward to imagine what the next five years looks like for those price points. Right. So we've talked a little bit about where we think prices can go in the next three to five years. Um, and we've talked about how sustainable this is um, as well. And I think we should maybe talk a little bit more about that. Um, what, in your opinion, are the the biggest risks that face the Vancouver real estate market? Uh, that's a that's a great question. We we are speaking to this on a day to day basis right now. I, you know, and and it's so difficult to understand that pendulum swing that that I just spoke about. You know, how far does it come back, and what does that mean for downtown office space, and what does that mean for uh, for downtown lifestyle? And if there is a return back to the office, the unhinging that's happened in the last twelve months between office and home has allowed a new value formula to be applied into more rural locations. And as a result of that, home ownership and demand for townhouses in places like Burke Mountain or in places like Port Moody, um, larger format single, uh, sorry, larger format uh, apartments uh, and single family marketplaces like in Langley have really, really been a benefactor of that change. If there is a return to the office, then those outer destinations will the value will, will once again be begin to reset, and that's going to bring people much closer to the downtown core. Uh, and as a result of that, have to reimagine you know different lifestyles again. So the expectation is is that over the next twelve months, we'll begin to see how dramatic that 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 adjustment back is. And I think vaccinations, uh, Canada's obviously performing very poorly uh, on a global stage when, when we think about vaccination rate. And so we will have the benefit, though, of, of seeing how do other world-class cities throughout the globe perform and what are the trends. And, and one of the benefits of it is that we'll be able to identify those trends much easier and then be able to strategize or plan around it. And so watching what's happening in, in other parts of the world, like what's happening in New York, following London, following Australia, many of them are vaccinated at a far more rapid rate. And as a result of that, you're beginning to see adjustments in those marketplaces that are different in Vancouver. And I think that they serve as a, as a really interesting model for us to be able to learn four to six months in advance and then be prepared for those adjustments to lifestyle. That's such a smart point. So, so potentially in terms of risks, if I understand what you're saying, Ryan, it's folks that are potentially overshooting far out, far out looking for, you know, that kind of knee jerk, what I need in the last year and looking for the large home office and everything else. Whereas we, we potentially are moving back towards, you know, the, the lifestyle that we knew pre 2020. I think time will really tell. And much of this, you know, is interesting because it's going to likely be determined 
Kim and I go back in this quite regularly, attempting to try to understand what that office landscape looks like and, and how close that proximity to the office is. And, and I think that we're fairly well aligned that much of the outcomes that we're going to see from, from property values over the next four to five years, of course, will be driven by more macro drivers like interest rates, immigration. Uh, our money supply right now is surging, and we know that that's having a huge impact on assets. But there's also the, the the conversation around the power that the manager will have on workforces. And if businesses embrace technology to the same degree tomorrow as they do today, then it is very possible for those outer markets to continue to run. But if if managers want to see staff return back into the office and staff want to return back in the office because of all the benefits that fall out of you know collaboration and community and, and the ability to drive you know, creative thought, it's hard not to imagine how that's going to be readdressed in price point of real estate. You know, just just thinking about this, and I know uh, at least Cameron, when you were on, we we spoke about you know the changing kind of technological landscape of pre-construction, but and we said this on a podcast, I think, or at least I remember saying this a week or two back. It's funny, like early on in the in the pandemic, everyone was saying, "Wow, you know, everybody's so productive at home, and we can't imagine how efficient this is." And 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 yet, like in the conversations, like Adam and I are both back at the office. We couldn't, ne- neither of us, at least, could imagine working from home, and it was kind of torturous when we were there. At least speaking for myself, other small business owners that we talked to are just like adamant that working from home is not a long-term strategy that's going to work, at least in kind of the conversations we're having. What is your guys' take on that? And also kind of pivoting the conversation, I guess, too, do you think these technological trends that you guys are kind of at the forefront uh, are going to remain in pre-sale and how that looks when the demand is so strong? Like, I'm curious to see how it's kind of played out since we spoke last, because at, at the last time we spoke, I think it was still pretty slow. And now we're getting to that kind of fever pitch again. Ryan, I'd like you to touch on technology because we're, you know, we're a technology driven organization and, and have been prior to COVID. And it's, it's something that is an incredibly strong platform for us and our, and are really our backbone, you know, but one thing um, I'm, uh, I'll try to address, but I'm not going to do a very good job answering is because I think there's just so much speculation in your question. And people way smarter than I, they're tracking this probably in centers in the U.S. about, you know, what what estimated percentage of workers are going to be, you know, coming back to traditional workplace and to, you know, what degree and what percentage and all those, those you know, forces. You know, I, I think I'd, I'd be speculating. But one thing for sure is that COVID has accelerated trends that were already afoot. And we won't completely go back to the way things were. We know this, of course. And because of our region being so you know, unaffordable, frankly, the, the way for an employer to perhaps have a competitive advantage is to embrace flexibility, to allow workers to have more geographic housing choices. And I think it's, I think for employers, it's going to be a strategic advantage for them and physical proximity will become less of a priority than it would be in perhaps cities that are more affordable. So I don't know to what extent this region will will embrace it in the future, but the trends are certainly been accelerated, which is a which is a really fantastic thing for 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 people's uh, livability and flexibility. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Like some businesses, I I, I think the answer to the question is that some businesses um, are going to be able to to weather that uh, those that that change very very well and really adapt and build that into their culture. And I think that that's the most critical consideration is, is, is that if you are able to reestablish your culture 
realign your vision and take advantage of, of those differences. The organizations that are able to drive that and find success in it are going to be the ones that are going to be the most successful from a productivity standpoint over the next two to three years. And that's a huge competitive advantage. If you can find a way to improve your talent pool uh, opportunities and uh, while at the same time, you know, also improving productivity out or your outputs. You know, for us as an organization, technology has always been part of, uh, of our culture. You know, one of our four core values is innovation, not necessarily just the embracing of technology, but the ability to really push ourselves to think differently and to, we call it um, internally hunting for inches, right? And for us, it's, it's all about how do we slowly create and evolve every aspect of our business regularly so that we can be delivering more value to our development partners or so that we can be uh, reimagining that, that, that sales experience with renewed vigor or excitement. Technology is allowing us to press forward on that today. And COVID's given us a really great opportunity to take advantage of, of the openness to change because all of us were having to change regardless, right? Like the way that we learn about programs, the way that we support our sales offerings, certainly the way that we even buy real estate now, all throughout the industry has, has had to adapt to really difficult policies around that relate obviously to, to COVID. And so the benefit for us now is, is continuing to leverage, continue to double down on that, and then making sure that we're, we're not slowing down just because restrictions relax. We're going to continue to, to speed up our step as we learn product fit on a variety of different services and a variety of different tools that we begin to roll out uh, or that we have began to roll out and that we continue to roll out from, uh, from our tech staff. So maybe as a final question, we have a lot of investors that listen to the program that are looking for opportunities, I think, not only in the lower mainland, but across the province. Do you guys have any regions across the province that, you, that you're monitoring that you think are, are a great investment right now? You know, you know, Cam, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that, that you speak to, uh, to obviously, uh, some parts of, uh, just outside the lower mainland, because I, I know that you've been following those very, very closely. My, my quick answer to that is any destination that is typically within a two to three hour timeline of travel from, from your home is, is, is an incredible opportunity uh, to just immerse yourself in a new environment. And, you know, that's been always part of the conversation over the last for the last few decades as residences in the lower mainland look for other communities potentially consider uh, as, as alternatives to Vancouver to spend time with family and, and to unwind. And, you know, so from that perspective, Whistler continues to be a very special place. You know, it's, it's, it's been a big part of uh, both Cameron and my downtime and, and it's, it's an incredible community. I think the, uh, the some of the islands in close proximity are, are incredibly undervalued or, or, or were undervalued uh, just a few years ago. And, and as a result of these changes in habits and openness to, to be able to work uh, a little bit more distance, you've seen these massive run-ups on price. And then, you know, of course, also thinking about a little bit further east and, and what's happening in the South Okanagan and the ability to, to find space and still be with, you know, it's a little bit beyond that three-hour journey. Uh, it's a little bit more challenging to get to as a result of that, especially if you're traveling with a young family. But but certainly feel like when you when you look at the demographics and you look at you know, the ever-changing landscape and, and the power of that downsizer in, in thinking about new communities and certainly going through life changes. So it's hard not to imagine how the South, South Okanagan is really poised to perform well over the next decade. So when I, when I think about areas in the province that are going to boom in the, in the coming years, I first of all break it down into 
primary residence areas and and secondary homes and and uh, you know holiday or recreational property. And so in the first bit, you know, I think you have to go to the employment centers and look at probably Kelowna and Victoria as the two primary centers outside of the greater metro Vancouver area that will boom in the in the next 10 to 15 years. Many of that much of that boom will happen as a as a trickle down effect from Vancouver's rapid growth. And so I think that those centers are going to continue to benefit from the the region's growth. When I think about the uh, recreation areas, you know, I, I believe that there's a lot of upside potential. And this is, again, going back to now demographics, there's just going to be so much uh, wealth transfer um, in the coming decades from the, the aging baby boomers, you know, uh, passing inheritance on. And we will see tremendous demand for recreation property. And, and often recreation property is in fixed supply. I'm thinking about Lakefront, for example, or Ryan mentioned Whistler. You know, there's just very, very fixed supply in the recreation arena. And dollars chasing that same fixed supply is really going to push those values in the coming years. I had just one comment, which goes back prior to your technology question. Yeah. Do you mind if I circle yeah, back? Yeah, 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 of course. Of course. Answer that? Yeah, go ahead. You know, you asked the question about what concerns us in the real estate market in the years ahead. And MLA has, has been a strong advocate, obviously, for, for growth and, and new development. But we, we understand that Vancouver is special because we have a diverse and healthy urban planning uh, environment. And, and so we are strong advocates for that diversity of housing. You know, we, we appreciate that our communities need seniors housing, student housing, compact formats, which provide more affordable housing for workers that, you know, we, we still need baristas. We can't, we can't, uh, you know, we can't just be a, a Waikiki. We definitely need to make sure that we have that, that diversity of housing. And so when, you know, when I reflect on this region, which has 17 different municipalities, it's very fractured. And so I get, I, I'm concerned that, as Ryan mentioned, there's not a consistent vision. We have some communities that are embracing uh, density, and we've got others that are completely allergic to it and are really impacted by NIMBYism and, and their constituents that believe they uh, voted them in. And so it's this short-term thinking that is really, uh, I think, difficult. You know, we need infrastructure that is going to open up new regions of our city. The bridge over over uh, the Fraser, uh, a second crossing where the tunnel is, you know, that that was absolutely ridiculous that that got canceled by the NDP government. You know, we need proper infrastructure and we need uh, a regional plan for our growth of, you know, adding sensible density in in logical locations. And what really, I think, concerns me about the future is that we're not going to sort that out. The government has showed us they're very, I mean, all levels of government have showed us that they're just, they're just not uh, thinking long-term and, uh, and simply uh, just can't move that needle. And as a result, we're going to continue to have this supply difficulty and that's just going to continue to you know show up with it whether it be affordability or or some regions that are just underserviced when it comes to infrastructure. So I just really believe it's going to be a dysfunctional growth as we move forward and and hopefully our government can do a reasonable job sorting out that that urban planning. And and I think the point that you're making, Cameron, is is actually one of the most important conversation points of of this discussion, which is we need strong leadership. Right? The ability for the few, and and we shouldn't undervalue the opinion of the few over over the many, but the ability for the few to be able to engage socially, to be able to create movement and and really impact or influence outcomes. If we have if we have leadership 
um, in key municipalities that are more worried about populist vote than they are about doing right for the community, then we are going to struggle as a province to be able to house those that choose Vancouver or choose the lower mainland as a healthy and viable alternative uh, for their family. You know, our biggest concern and our biggest risk from the notion that in order for uh, our province to, to, to thrive, we have to be able to recruit some of the best talent uh, throughout the world. We have to be able to provide amenities and, and housing being one of those amenities for them to relocate their families here so that we can continue to be an innovating province and an innovating country. And if we can't solve the solution of housing, we don't stand a chance to be leaders on productivity on a world stage. And so that's going to take strength of leadership. It's going to take a commitment to to at times making the tough decision. And if we're just going to rely on populist and consensus voting, I think it's going to be very challenging for British Columbians to be able to afford British Columbian real estate. I'd like to say I'm optimistic. <laughs> I guess we'll, time will tell. Time will tell. We, we do have a, a section I think both of you have participated in in uh, before called the Five Wire Five Fairly Lighthearted Questions about Vancouver and yourselves uh, to end the show. Do you guys have time to stick around for that? This is, the only, this is the only reason I agreed to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> to plug that restaurant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll start actually here. We'll, we'll, we'll start with uh, Ryan here with the first question. What is your favorite neighborhood? Uh, I, like, I like so many different neighborhoods, but my favorite neighborhood right now is, uh, is definitely the downtown core. And Cameron? Ryan, you took my you took my answer. <laughs> I, got, I feel like I feel like I have to mix it up. I saw um, your notes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know the the, re- the reason the reason why I will say the downtown. I didn't. I, I was kind of quiet there. And the reason why I think it's such a unique neighborhood right now is uh, is it is different. But so many communities are sleeping. There's still a, a vibrancy and an energy there at the right times. And I think that that's that's something that all of us are craving. Like, just how do we connect? Our office is there as well. You know, our office has been you know a savior for Cameron and I at times because you just you crave being around others with energy. And I think that that's something that, that, that the core has always been able to provide us. And I think that it's really exciting to see how it's going to continue to play that role in our lives moving forward. Right. I was going to say, I, I, we, we joke that we haven't been at a nightclub for about 10 years, but I might start going back to nightclubs once this is all over. <laughs> We're all, I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm hungry for any, any kind of social interaction these days. So, uh, okay, and Cameron, what's your what's your favorite neighborhood? Uh, I'm going to say Kitsilano. I think that um, it's just got a great walkable vibe to it. Favorite bar or restaurant? Uh, maybe we'll start with Cameron so you can <laughs> consult your notes quick. I was, you know, I'm thinking about all the fancy ones I like, but these days I'm just enjoying some really casual ones. So I'm going to say Havana on Commercial Drive. I was there the other day with my family for brunch. It was just fantastic. It felt the most normal I've felt in a in a long time. It's funny. I was uh I, I feel like I was just talking maybe even on the podcast about Havana's, but that patio is uh on a nice day is is I was there maybe two weeks ago and it was like yeah, it's the best. It felt like it's old times. <laughs> it's the best. You're people watching and you're in the sunshine. Yeah, Havana's got an amazing patio. Right on and Ryan? I'm going, I'm going to go actually kind of back to Kitsilano and uh, like date night for, for my wife and I, Ashley is, is generally happens on the West side. So we're really close to our home. 
And Annalena is just, I have a soft spot for it. Uh, the food is always fantastic. Uh, the service good, is always top good. notch. I love sitting at that bar and, and just watching the guys just go to work. They do such a, a, a great job. Uh, that's a good one. We haven't had that before. Um, what is one book that you would recommend everybody read? Uh, we'll start with, uh, with Ryan. Oh, I, you know, I think you asked me this last time. I'm going to, I'm going to say my, my uh, there's, there's two that kind of come to mind. Uh, the first one, <clears throat> something that I really enjoy is atomic habits by James clear, especially in a moment, uh, uh, or an environment like we are today where, where like health and wellness habits, uh, really sort of the backbone of, of a strong mental perspective. But another one that, that I, I really enjoyed was actually how to change your mind with Michael Pollan. Uh, both of those, I think you, you could do no wrong with. Michael Pollan, he's a food guy. He's a food guy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> how, to change your, how to change your mind is actually about his experiences in uh, psilocybin. And it, and it talks about the journey that he goes on to. And I think that it's actually quite interesting because it really opens up the dialogue of, you know, the frontier of psilocybin, uh, exploration and, and, you know, where CBD wise, uh, and THC was in cannabis for the most part, maybe eight years ago is, is where psilocybin is today. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that industry really opens. I think that's a different podcast, Trent. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, back to the Joe Rogan show. Um, the, uh, <laughs> no, I was going to say Matt's 22-year-old self's ears just perked up here. <laughs> uh, as, far, as far as a book, I mean, I've, I, there's so many great books out there. Um, I'm going to go way back to something that maybe when I was young and impressionable really started changing, you know, the path of my life. And I was, you know, seeking knowledge. And, um, you know, I read some of these basic books that still probably, you know, help helped me uh, make some adjustments that, 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 um, that were positive for me. And one would be uh, Napoleon Hill's uh, Think and Grow Rich, which was, you know, which was sort of the, the catalyst to, you know, books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or The Wealthy Barber, you know, basically, those were just knockoffs of, of Napoleon Hill's principles. And I remember reading that when I was probably in second year university and, you know, and, you know, taking those notes about, oh, you know, like saving 10% of your earnings and all this, that kind of stuff is in there and just treating life with purpose. And so I think that that was uh, going way back in my early days. Uh, one of the books that I recall that uh, gave me some positive impact. You read that earlier than us. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows. It yeah, shows in it life. Definitely shows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. Use this as an example, folks. Uh, <laughs> um, one is what is one piece of advice that you'd give your eighteen-year-old self, Cameron? If you want to start. Oh, I think I just touched on it there. I said, uh, uh, hinted on the book. My advice would be, eighteen-year-old self, wake up every day and and. Um, approach your life with, with purpose. And so you, so that involves goals and a plan. Fantastic. And Ryan, you know, the, the, the last serious one is to mine Bitcoin early and hold. <laughs> uh, you like, you like, I missed that boat, but on, on a more serious note, uh, just the importance of mastery. This, this kind of reflects back to some of the stuff that Malcolm Gladwell has written about recently, but uh, just appreciating that 10,000 hour rule and just remaining hyper-focused on being close to that gravity. Right on. And and finally, something you have purchased for under $1,500 that has changed your life in the past, well, let's say year, because I guess uh, that's the last time one of you was on the show. And are you are you talking like in a good way or a bad way? 
We've never had a bad way, but if you got one, we'll take it. <laughs> oh man, I've got cases of those in the, in the <laughs> em- empty bottles in the lane right now. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, All right, I'll, you know, I'll go. But I was, I wasn't thinking in the last year, but definitely uh, have been uh, enjoying them a lot in the last year. About five or six years ago, I bought myself a pair of serious trail running shoes, and it got me into running. And it's really changed my life because I've really enjoyed um, the just the exercise and running and being in the outdoors. And of course, during COVID, you kind of double down on that. So lots of lots of time um, outdoors, uh, exercising, and and those running shoes. Uh, uh, I've now been replaced many times, but that was uh, a real good shift for for me recently. Great one, and and Ryan, yeah, fifteen hundred. I'm going to say you know, something that I started probably doing about two years ago was cycling, and and then I picked myself up a smart trainer probably about a year and a half ago, I think, give or take, something around there. And uh, what an incredible experience that is, you know, especially during the winter wet months in Vancouver, where you know, like where exercise is everything and, and gyms are closed, like just getting out with buddies and being able to kind of connect and ride and, and, uh, and have some great discussion while you're also getting in some laps, I think is something that's a great part of, uh, of, of maybe my wellness and, and, uh, and, and health habits recently. For uh, a couple chubby guys sitting around the mics, what, what's a smart trainer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, uh, this is, uh, you know, the, the Wahoo smart trainer is an example of one that just clips into your bike. It's, uh, uh, the easiest way to think about it is, is that it, it digitally connects your bike to an app that allows you to ride with others online. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, right on. Ah, great. Right on. Well, Adam, you've got the it, Peloton. I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah. Speaking um, of things that are used. <laughs> speaking of expensive things, <laughs> hangers for sweaters. Um, no, <laughs> uh. um, Maybe we can leave off by by asking uh, you both how people can find out more about MLA Canada. And then I, I just want to say I've really enjoyed the uh, MLA intelligence emails. And uh, I just want to put a plug out there that everybody should be on that that list for sure. But uh, how can people find out more what, about what you're up to? Yeah, th- thanks for that question. Um, ultimately, we spend uh, a, a great amount of effort putting our programs first. Uh, in, in all of the markets that we're engaged in. But uh, we do have the pre-sale pulse and the pre-sale intelligent, which is a real estate intelligent interview series. And all of these are available online. If you if you uh, track to our website, MLACanada.com, you'll see a variety of different links and subscription opportunities. And, and there's a ton of great content that we're sharing on a daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly basis. Uh, everything from what we call the, the daily newswire. And this is a roundup of all of the hottest real estate topics in our industry that are shaping our local marketplace, uh, all the way through to the Pulse, which is a monthly subscription that that comes with insights and video that relates to everything that's happened in real estate over the previous 30 days. And then, of course, there's a lot that else that falls out of that. This also gives you early access to a lot of the fantastic projects that we're launching. So this puts you early in line so that if you are trying to buy something lower than the 38th floor, uh, <laughs> this gives you a fighting chance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, hey, it's a, no, it's definitely a, it's a good list, a good list to be on for sure. Well, thanks so much uh, guys for your time. That was a, that was a great conversation. And uh, if nothing more, I think it's inspired me to get back exercising again. I feel like I've fallen off in the last couple of weeks, but you guys are clearly living your best lives. So uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks again. 
Adam, Matt, uh, we want to thank you guys and the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast for including us again. It's always fun and hopefully some good uh, insights uh, uh, and some good interest there. Uh, most definitely. I'm, I'm going to echo that, guys. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. Um, looking forward to many more chats like this. And I think, you know, thanks again for thinking of us. If there's anything that we can help any of your viewers or subscribers, just please feel free to, to link us out below and, and, and happy to start the conversation. Yeah, and next time we might actually have to do video because uh, we should. Oh, no, I'm thinking we'll be it will be in person. Next it'll time. be in person. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it on camera though, because as as our former producer said, Ryan Lalonde is the most Bradley Cooper real estate agent lookalike. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've gotten that one before. I'll I'll take it. And if you could also <laughs> if you if you could also just share that with my wife, I'd really yeah. appreciate it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Ryan Lalonde and Cameron McNeil from MLA Canada. Really enjoyed that conversation, Matt. Um, Like we said at the beginning, there are some bold predictions this episode. 15 to 25% is what I took away. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting though, because a lot of people in the industry, and we won't mention any names, but a lot of people that are thought leaders in the industry, that's how they're feeling about the market right now. It's kind of like when the border opens, the immigration numbers, uh, you know, the interest rates, um, the demand right now, the demand yeah. just seems uh, insatiable. Well, and here's here's the thing, right? Like Smith and Farrell, for example, right. these guys just launched a high rise tower and saw the demand over the weekend. It's not like they don't have their finger on the pulse. They're of course literally yeah. pricing and selling uh, real estate right now uh, in in the hundreds of units, right? Yeah. So they have their finger on the pulse. They're they're calling for fifteen to twenty five percent, and my big takeaway was the next six months is not when those, the big increases will be, but it's that, that end of year, uh, start to 2022. Of course, nobody has a crystal ball, but, um, it compelling stuff. It's compelling, it's a compelling argument. That's right. And, uh, something to be monitoring moving forward. But before we cut for the day, Matt, what else do we got? What else do we have? We have Vancouver real estate podcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate live Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up to things like the Live Wire, where you get Deal of the Month, stats that nobody else has, stats before anyone else, a variety of real estate-related things that everybody should have. And, and past episodes. And past episodes. There's no reason you shouldn't be on the Live Wire. You also can sign up for private client services. And Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And also, it is the absolute best way to look for real estate in Vancouver. I love it. We have tons of searches set up for ourselves, for our family, for our friends. Get to know what your neighbors are selling for and keep an eye on the market. Yeah, and don't, it's the best. don't. Don't miss. Don't yeah. miss out, right? This you get an It's alert. a no-obligation uh, search, and we can help set that up. Just get in touch. And Matt, how can people get in touch with you? You can give me a shout at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And we also have that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And make sure you tune in next week. We've got a phenomenal episode with Brian Yu. 
the chief economist at Central One Credit Union. It's a fantastic episode. All things BC economy. That That is a very exciting episode. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week. Have a good week. 2,000 faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs>